Warning, the following contains spoilers pertaining to the show and subject matter discussed. Also, strong language and adult content may be included. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you. Stand clear of the closing doors, please. This is perfect. It's just what we need. What do you mean? Well, let's just say we're doing research for our next episode. We're visiting a Golden Girls Cafe way uptown on the A-Train. How is that research? Because think about where the cafe is. Ah, you're right. I see what you did there. Perfect, right? Just riding the train to the top of the subway map. All the way to Washington Heights. Just perfect. Welcome to Stage Whisper. I'm your host, Hope Bird, and with me is my co-host, Andrew Cortez. Today we are going to be discussing the landmark and legendary show, In the Heights. So, hurry and take your seats. It looks like the show is starting. Hello everyone, and welcome into today's performance of Stage Whisper. Grab your Café Con Leche, your lotto tickets, and your cold champagne, and join us as we venture to the top of the world and explore the, one, the world of the hit musical, In the Heights. This musical, which reshaped the Broadway landscape, has an incredible story that started long before it arrived on the Great White Way and still continues after it's left. So, let's begin by setting the groundwork. To start things off, let's shake things up by meeting our design team first. The set was by Anna Luezos, costumes by Paul Taswell, lights by Howell Binkley, sound design by Acme Sound Partners, wigs by Charles Lapointe, music and lyrics by Lin-Manuel Miranda, Book by Chiara Algira Juarez, directed by Thomas Kale, and choreography by Andy Blinkenbuehler. Miranda first wrote In the Heights in 1999 <coughs> while in his sophomore year of college. It played in the Westland University's Student Theater Company second stage from April 27th through April 29th. In 2000, when freestyle rap was added, E.T.'s Lee Schweppes said that it it sounded like a hip-hop version of Rapt. Alumni of the school, Thomas Kale, saw the production and approached Miranda about expanding the then 80-minute show into a full-length production. Miranda started working with the director in 2002 on the full project and book writer Juarez joined in 2004. This was the first time Miranda, Kale, and Blankenbuehler worked together. Lin-Manuel Miranda originated the leading role 
and returned to play the character again for the closing performance. The musical arrived at the Richard Rogers Theater on March 9, 2008. There it would run for almost three years and 1,185 performances, closing on January 9, 2011. The show would be nominated for 13 Tony Awards that season and capture four that evening. Best Choreography, Andy Blankenbuehler. Best Orchestrations, Alex Lacamore and Bill Sherman. Best Original Score, Lin-Manuel Miranda. And Best Musical. So, let's head uptown to the Heights. As the sun rises on the hottest day of summer, Usnavi de la Vega, the owner of a small bodega in Washington Heights, chases away small-time vandal Graffiti Pete. Before introducing the audience to the corner he lives on and some of its many residents. Abuela Claudia, a matriarchal figure who helped to raise Usnavi among others. Usnavi's young, lazy cousin Sonny, who helps run the bodega. Daniela and Carla, who run the local salon and Kevin and Camilla Rosario, who run the cab company. As the day begins, the Rosario's daughter, Nina, arrive home from her first year at Stanford University. Often considered the one who made it out and the pride of the corner, Nina dreads telling her parents and neighbors the truth of her return home, that she dropped out of Stanford because she had to work two jobs to maintain her tuition, leading to her getting poor grades and losing her scholarship. As she tries to find her parents to tell them the news, she runs into Benny, Usnavi's best friend and employee of Kevin's, who has been temporarily left in charge of the dispatch while Kevin seeks to solve a financial problem. Clearly harboring, a romantic, clearly harboring romantic feelings for one another, Benny and Nina reconnect. Elsewhere, Vanessa, an employee of Daniela's at the salon, and aspiring fashion designer, with whom Usnavi has long been infatuated, dreams of one day leaving the corner and getting an apartment in the West Village. While she is on a break at the salon, Sunny asks her out on a date on Usnavi's behalf, and she accepts. Usnavi rejoices at his success, but worries that Vanessa may forget about him and the rest of the community when she moves. Nina reunites with her parents and is ultimately forced to reveal that she dropped out. Her parents are stunned at this uh, revelation, as well as her dishonesty, and Kevin grows devastated that he has been unable to provide for his family, fearing that he has continued the cycle that started by his father, a poor tenement farmer. Nina escapes to the salon to seek comfort from Vanessa, but Daniela and Carla insist on giving her a makeover and subjecting her to their gossip about the goings-ons in the neighborhood specifically about Nina and Vanessa's respective love interests. The attention turns once more to Nina and her successes, forcing Nina to reveal again the truth about dropping out of Stanford and leaves exacerbatedly. As Usnavi closes up shop, he, Benny, Sonny, and Graffiti Pete discover that the bodega has sold a winning lottery ticket worth $96,000. 
the news gets out and the entire block begins to fantasize about what they would do if they won the small fortune. As excitement dies down, Abuela Claudia sits down to feed the birds and reminisce about her childhood in Cuba and her life in relative poverty and the events that have led her to where she is today. With tears of gratitude, she reveals that she holds the winning lottery ticket and thanks her years of patience and faith for bringing her this fortune. Elsewhere, Nina finds solace in Benny, who takes her on a walk down the street corner and reminisces with her, reminding her of her childhood and her home. Nina expresses her doubts about her own self-worth to Benny, but he reassures her that she is destined for greatness. As they head to Nina's house for dinner, the local piragua guy continues his day selling piraguas through the intense heat and competing with Mr. Softy. Kevin and Camila host Nina, Benny, Usnavi, Vanessa, and Abuela Claudia for dinner, where Kevin announces that he has sold the car service to pay for Nina's tuition. Nina and Camila are shocked. Benny, who has long dreamed of taking over the car service, is outraged and confronts Kevin over his decision. Kevin insists that the Rosarios is a family business and that Benny will never be family. Benny subsequently leaves in a huff, and Nina, refusing to accept the money, follows him out. Usnavi soon arrives at a club for his date with Vanessa, but is overly nervous and aloof, leading Vanessa to dance with other guys to make him jealous. Usnavi soon finds his own dance partner and tries to make Vanessa jealous in turn. Nina follows Benny to the club to apologize for her father's decision, but Benny, already drunk, angrily brushes her off. Tensions rise in the club as the two couples cope with their jealousy, culminating in Benny punching a man dancing with Nina, causing a fight to break out. Suddenly, the power goes out throughout the city as a result of the intense heat and humidity. The neighborhood descends into chaos as Usnavi and Vanessa, as well as Benny and Nina, desperately try to find their way back to one another. Sunny and Graffiti Pete, fearing looters, set off fireworks to distract potential robbers as well as to light everyone else's way home. Usnavi reunites with Abuela Claudia, who shows him her winning, her winning lottery tickets. Benny and Nina find each other amidst the chaos, and despite initial arguing, they finally kiss. And Act 1. Act 2 starts with Nina and Benny. Nina and Benny spend the night together in Benny's apartment as Kevin frantically searches for her all night. Benny worries about what Kevin will say about the relationship, but is happy to finally be with her. Down the street, Usnavi, whose bodega has been looted, convenes with Abuela Claudia to discuss what will happen with the money. Abuela Claudia decides to give Sonny and Usnavi each a third of the money and urges Usnavi to use it to achieve his lifelong dream of returning to his home in the Dominican Republic. While Usnavi shares some doubts, he eventually decides to go. Nina eventually returns home to find her parents worried sick about her, and Kevin grows furious when he learns she was with Benny, disapproving of their relationship due to Benny not being Latino. Nina and Kevin loudly argue before Camila intervenes, criticizing Kevin for throwing Benny out and Nina for not coming home. She urges them to come together and work things out as a family. As the neighborhood copes with their frustrations over the heat and blackout, Daniela urges them to dispel the negativity and muster up enough energy for a neighborhood celebration. 
As the block reluctantly begins making the most of a bad situation, Daniela leads the crowd in mocking Vanessa for not realizing Usnavi's feeling for her, as well as Benny for his tryst with Nina the previous night. Usnavi soon emerges and announces Abuela Claudia's winning of the lottery, as well as their flight to the Dominican Republic the following day. Vanessa is visibly upset by his leaving, and so is Sunny, who has had a long crush on Nina um, and whose only close relative is Usnavi. Usnavi calms Sunny down by revealing that they plan to give him a third of the lottery winnings and begins to rouse excitement throughout the block once more by encouraging them to celebrate before everything changes. As they continue dancing and celebrating, a visibly upset Nina arrives and pulls Usnavi off stage. And soon Kevin makes an announcement over the dispatch, Abuela Claudia has suddenly died. Usnavi holds an impromptu memorial for Abuela Claudia, revealing that she died of a combination of the stress and heat. And soon Nina leads the entire block in singing Abuela's praises. Afterward, Usnavi and Nina go through Abuela's old photographs to reminisce. Nina begins to remember the central role Abuela Claudia played in her education and motivation, and in memory of Abuela Claudia, she resolves to accept her parents' money and give college another try, returning to Stanford at the end of the summer. As Vanessa prepares to move out, Daniela gives her a final piece of news. Usnavi convinced Daniela to co-sign Vanessa's lease for her new apartment. As a blackout continues, the Piragua guy rejoices in the effect the heat has had on his business. Overwhelmed by his kind act, Vanessa visits a flustered Usnavi as he cleans up the bodega and flirts with him, offering him a bottle of champagne. She quietly suggests to distract Usnavi that he should stay in the neighborhood, worried that if he leaves, she will never see him again. But Usnavi, overwhelmed, firmly rejects this. Vanessa kisses him before leaving, lamenting that she is too late in realizing her feelings for him. As Nina tells Benny of her decision, they agree to spend the summer together before pursuing a long-distance relationship when she returns to school. Benny reaffirms his faith in her, and they promise to think of one another every day while they are apart. Benny confronts Kevin for a final time, insisting that he was always there for him, while Kevin never did the same. As the night winds down, Sonny approaches Graffiti Pete with a secret proposition, which Pete accepts. The next morning, the neighborhood has visibly changed. The car service sign over the Rosario's building has been removed, and the gate in front of the bodega is still open. As Usnavi plays Abuela Claudia's old records, he comes to terms with the fact that the corner is about to change and wonders if anyone will notice that he's gone in the long run. Before he leaves, Sonny approaches him, and having fixed the bodega's grate, pulls it down, revealing a graffiti mural of Abuela Claudia painted by Pete. Seeing the mural, Usnavi has an epiphany and takes Sonny and graffiti Pete with telling the neighborhood of his decision to stay. As he reflects on his role as the neighborhood storyteller, Usnavi ponders a potential future with Vanessa as he strives to ensure that his family's legacy is remembered and accepts the corner as his true home. The The end. end.
So, that's all, folks. Thanks for listening. <laughs> now, let's get into things we liked or maybe didn't like about the show. I mean, there really isn't much I didn't like. I know. It's, it's one of my favorite stories. So, let's just start with what we didn't like. Great. That was a great discussion. <laughs> Moving on to what we liked. Look, the sound of the show was unlike anything I'd heard or have heard on Broadway. I mean, obviously until Hamilton. But, um, yeah, up until that time, I've never heard anything like it. So just the sound of the show well, was incredible. And with the couple of times we have been up to Washington Heights, um, even just getting off the subway up there, it the the score of the show captures what it feels like stepping off the subway train yes. up there and it's just it's beautiful that you know that was able to be achieved this, there's a rhythm and there's a life that exists within that neighborhood of the city and it was brought down to midtown into the richard rogers theater it wasn't I, it wasn't over commercialized or anything like that it was real yeah and like one of my favorite moments of that whole thing is um just at the end of Act One, um, where there's the fireworks, the fact that you can hear the fireworks in the music, and we're not talking about like fireworks sound, but you can feel the movement and the shooting off of the fireworks. Like, mm-hmm. it's just so beautiful that uh, Miranda was able to capture that beautiful moment in music. Yes. Um, you already mentioned this, but I'll reiterate: the story is an absolutely beautiful story. It's real. It's human. It's relatable. It's it's, it's nothing completely it's, like unremarkable. Like you know what I mean? It's, it's just not the princess story or the conquering hero or anything like that. It's just a real story. It's about, about real people. Yeah, it's it's. I hate to say it's about impoverished people, but it's not about the wealthy. No, it's, it's about good fortune falling on some people and how that changes their life, but what they actually... Like I said, it's a realistic choice. I mean, I've said to people before, I would love to win the lottery. It's amazing what even just $10,000 would do for me, but I would never quit my job. I'd always want to have to do something. I couldn't win the lottery and and just quit working. I I don't understand people who do that because I'd be so bored. I could do that for like three days and I'm like, I gotta go do something. Well, and I feel like the real story behind this are is that, you know... All of us as humans in this world, we have dreams, and sometimes they come true and sometimes they don't, but we keep dreaming. Right. And that's what's beautiful of it. I thought it was just a different experience unlike anything we'd seen her experience before. Mm-hmm. Everything top to bottom, the entire show. It, I don't know, it, it, it left an impression on you. That all my senses were, were reached, you mm-hmm. know, and I was just like, wow, I, I don't know, I... I, I there aren't words to express till that point that show like I really was like I don't know what I'm seeing but I want more of it yeah this must have been what it was like to see Hair in the 60s you know the first rock and roll musical or or to see uh, one of the first mega musicals that came over from London you know like you, you weren't sure exactly what you were seeing but you knew you wanted more mm-hmm. you knew it was something special so breaking it down even further, let's start with the story. We already talked about it being real and relatable. We talked also about it's one that isn't often told, if told at all. We don't really get this real, not the popper story, but you know. Well, it's like upper, it's like, it's like low, low to middle class, low to middle class 
Um, maybe for a lot of people, you know, you have business owners, you have people who are making just enough money to have what they need, um, you know, but things could always be better, but they're not so well, bad. I, I would say it is the lower class. It's, it's the top of the island. It's, it's immigrants. They're all immigrants, you know. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is when musicals are about New York, you don't see that, you know. Um, just in a quick thought in my mind about musicals that are in New York, the only thing I can think of where we see poor people in New York, um, outside of Annie, where we have them in the in the sh- shanty towns, but even that, I mean, there's a lot of rich people in it. Mm-hmm. Ragtime uh, is Rent. Yeah, where all the casts are kind of poor, starving artists. But even that, I mean, they still have ties to wealth, and their parents or whatnot. Yeah, but you have something like Ragtime. Ragtime still has a lot of wealthy people in it. I, I look at this show and tell me who the wealthy people are. Mm, I, yeah. Name the wealthy people. The wealthiest people in this are the ones on the cab company that are going out of business because they're being forced out of business. They really aren't wealthy. They're wealthy for the people that are around, but well, in the grand scheme of New York, they're not wealthy. But I wouldn't call them impoverished. Well, I would but, definitely but, but say... In, in, in terms of New York, I would say that they live below that level. I don't know. I I see this as the blue collar class, and I wouldn't call yeah. the blue collar class necessarily the the poor and impoverished. I would say it's just a like it's it's the difference of one step. I think these are the people that work for minimum wage. Oh yeah. That's, oh yeah, but that's blue collar. That's low. Yeah, but to you middle, can't you like, can't make an honest living and survive on minimum wage. This isn't a political podcast. We're not we're not going to get into that. But the minimum wage does not provide a livable wage. Those are two different terms. Semantics aside, I think we'll agree to disagree about this subject. But New York, when they tell write shows about New York, um, they don't tell stories about those like these kind of people. They're focusing more on the glitz and glamour of New York, if you will. It's a magical place where dreams come true, and da 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 da. And I'm not saying that they're painting this that New York's being painted in a bad picture in this show, but it's more like. There is a side of New York where people struggle but make the best of it. And I think that's the beauty of it, you know. People who don't have a lot still make the best of it and seem a lot happier than people that do have a lot. I mean, that's something that that should be told more often. Well, I think the most important thing to remember is that these are regular, just your average people, business owners, employees, just people living their lives... And making the best of it. Well, not to mention it does show the evil of gentrification going on the way up, uptown. They're being muscled out. And that's another podcast for another time. But I, I just think it's a story that we don't talk about, even here in New York. Oh, and the other thing I wanted to mention, though, is when New York audiences go to see a, a Broadway show. So in a regular year, the summer months will be like the tourist months. That's when the bulk of the... Theaters are made up of tourists. But we'll say the off-season, especially the winter months, are mostly locals. You know, this is a story that a lot of these people who are going to the theater, they're probably not from Washington Heights. So they're hearing a story about people they probably don't even run into. You know? And I think that's important for people who live here to also remember that there this community exists. These issues exist they address a lot of issues <coughs> excuse me outside of just 
poverty. They issue they address issues like education, and you know they do address things like immigration and things like that in this show. Well, and I think that's important to also point out, like these things matter to other people. Well, and especially if you think about it, like the communities here are so close, like physically located close. Washington yeah. Heights is at the top of the island. The entire island is only 13 miles long. Yeah, it's, you from, know, from where we're at, it's like six stops up the A train. Literally, like 10 minutes up the A train, boom, we're in Washington Heights. And from that, we'll have only passed like two neighborhoods. I mean, it's that close. So, we're not talking about somewhere that's an hour's drive away. I mean, it's literally a stone's throw. Mm-hmm. So, uh, moving on, the lighting. Oh, it was so beautiful. Yeah, expressive. It, it was inventive. I haven't seen lighting like that. It was a mix of like a concert and theatrical. My favorite thing is is like, you know, they're talking about this heat wave and it just felt hot. hot. Yeah. Yeah, like it I don't know how how the lighting designer did it, but it just you know like in the movies where you can when they show like a clip and you just see the wavies on the road and that and you're just like the it's wavies. Hot. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. I do. <laughs> they didn't have the wavies <clears throat> on stage, but just the direction felt- and the brightness, like you just felt the heat. And mm-hmm. and when they did like the mornings, like it felt you felt that humid. I don't know how they did it, but you felt like that that humid sunrise where oh it's morning, but it doesn't feel cool. It looks like a hot morning, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, the fireworks at the end of Act One were awesome because I mean, you know, technology being what it was back then, they didn't use projections to like show fireworks going up and exploding. It was just these flashes in the back where the GW bridge is, is in the back mm-hmm. as like a silhouette and they're just using these silhouettes behind these buildings. And being having been to Washington Heights now, I'm like, no, that makes sense. You may not see these fireworks going up and above because they're not commercial grade fireworks. So you might just see have the seen flashes. these flashes behind the building. And I thought that was so smart. Keep it simple. Mm-hmm. And then like I said, that sunrise at the top of Act 2. It so was beautiful. So especially paired with the music. Like oh. it feels like if you've ever woken up in time to watch the sunrise. You it, know. it happened so fast here in New York too. Like, you, you'll see this beautiful pink sky, and the next thing you know, the sun is up. And you're like, oh. Oh, damn. You know? Um, it just... The the designer knew exactly what he was doing. It was real. It was natural. I can't get over that heat. I think <coughs> that it would be a, a good time to talk about the costumes now. Okay. Um, especially because we are talking about how they are just regular, average people. And so their costumes needed to be regular street clothes, as we'd call them um, in the theater world, um, but still expressive of each individual's personality, mm-hmm. um, which I just think is something that is really hard to design. And like as a hairdresser, I like to tell people when I'm doing their hair in like real life, I'm like, hey, I like to make character-based decisions. So it's like, you know, if I know that... You're someone who your focus is on, you know, not your looks. I'm probably going to, you know, give you something that's a more lived in something. And so it's kind of that same way with the clothing. You have to think about that approach. So, you know, Daniela is super in these super like 
high maintenance looking clothing because that's who she is that's her personality but then on the other side you have someone like Sonny who you know he's just the he's the lazy nephew or whatever or cousin and so he you know has clothing that is just simple basic um you know but I just think that it's a very awesome journey that a costume designer can really just get into the characters and crawl around in their heads to figure out what they would buy from the store to wear. Yeah, I I didn't think they were trying to make something that they weren't out of the 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 characters. They didn't overreach. They just allowed the characters to be authentic. Yes. Which was important, you know. And I and I liked that they didn't play stereotypes. Yes. This was a this was a a prime opportunity to play up those stereotypes to kind of I hate to say it, like whitewash it for audiences, for your typical, quote, typical Broadway audience. And they didn't do that. They kept it true to who these characters were supposed to be, um, which I appreciated. You know, it, that's what made it feel more real. These were people you totally would see on the subway or on the street. Mm-hmm. It, if, if the entire cast could have gotten on the train after the show and costume and gone uptown, we would ne- never know they were in a Broadway show. Yeah. Never in a million years, no, they were in a Broadway show. You know, Um, and speaking about authentic and incredible, the choreography, Andy Blankenbuehler's choreography. Uh, Just that that image of the In the Heights poster is taken from the 96,000 dance and just the expressions that, you know, they were able to, it's, it's. It's almost like thinking about something like West Side Story where Jerome Robbins was like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, we're mm-hmm. reaching up to the sky, but we're being firmly planted on the ground. It's a lot of seeing those kind of movements in what they're doing, as well as seeing, you know, their Latin heritage. And I think of, like, Graffiti Pete, who is that famous, you know, like, up in the air, arms and feet, like, bent back, and just... vulnerable, reaching to the sky, having no inhibition, um, and what that says about his character um, is just beautiful. I love that it told the story in a whole new way, like I've never seen it, in in the form of dance. They moved in a way I've never seen before, Mm -hmm. and the story had a rhythm and a pulse and a life of its own. Yeah. And it was embodied in these dancers. It was a work of art. And kind of going back to what you said earlier, how there was music embodied in their movements in in the Blackout song, you know, the fireworks. I felt like there was a marriage between movement and music where, you know, the cast was singing something and the orchestra was playing something and their movements were bringing out those orchestrations Uh or really accenting them. You know, and we got that in a lot of the music, and I was like, "What a beautiful marriage between words, music, and choreography!" Um, and we'd see something like that later on in in Hamilton, but mm-hmm. I think that makes it even more effective. It's it's adding that extra exclamation point to what you're trying to say, mm-hmm. rather than you know we're just moving on the stage because we're moving. It's like, well, what what are we saying, and why are we saying it? That the movements make sense. They just add more feeling or more emphasis. To what they're doing. Well, one thing that I keep thinking about is 96,000. Mm-hmm. And in it, there's a lot of movement happening, but it's in individuals and in groups. There's not like a giant, like, everyone comes together, we're going to do touch, clap, k- 
kickball no, change, blah, blah, blah. But it's all of them having their different thoughts. Exactly. Or like uh, in uh, Carnival de Barrio, where basically everyone is kind of, you see everyone dancing to the same beat, but they're moving differently. Because they're have, all from different Latin countries. And exactly. You see them and you moving. have like Usnavi who's kind of sitting there like jamming in himself. And then you have the Pirago guy who's doing something similar, but large and open and big and taking pride. And so... What I just think is the movements work together, but they're all different. Yes, but that's that's also the great, like, bigger message about this neighborhood that they all work together, but they're they are all also different. Mm-hmm. You know, so this choreography was just beautiful in that it understood the text and the music, and it just mm-hmm. blended. Are we good to move on to music? Yes, I just would like to say that this is the first. Hip hop musical, I can think of. Oh, I have a typo. Sorry. <laughs> well, look, the music, music. Okay, again, we've mentioned it's unlike anything we've ever heard before. Mm-hmm. It was the first hip hop musical, not hip hop. Ignore the typo. Hip hop musical that I can think of. Um, I really can't think of another show that was hip hop before it. Some people have said that the Music Man's like. Opening number. Yeah, it it reminisces rap, but I look. I'll hey, I will I will entertain that. Uh, I'm excited <laughs> to see Hugh Jackman do that. Um, I'm gonna entertain that notion, but that's a song. This is an entire musical. Right. Seventy six trombones is not a a great R and B hit. Sorry about your lunch. No. Right. Well, in this just you know in the era of hip hop, I mean that's hip hop. Terrible. That's hip hop. <laughs> um, the music was different but incredible, and it was really creative and inventive. Like Lin Manuel Miranda didn't invent hip hop, he, but I feel like he really invented musical theater, hip hop. Right. He elevated the type of storytelling that you could do through hip hop yeah. and through rapping. Um, especially, I remember a lot of people talking at this time, being <sighs> like, "Oh." hip-hop music or rap can never make its way onto Broadway or into mainstream, you know, musicals just because it doesn't it doesn't fit. And you have Lin-Manuel Miranda going, no, it's perfect for storytelling and I'm going to use it. If it's done how. right, yeah. Yeah. We've been doing, I mean, the 90s were all about that. The, the hip-hop R&B songs of the 90s did nothing but storytell. It wasn't about how many words can you spit out in a minute. It was about, you know, the songs that I remember from the 90s were all stories. The songs in this show were, like, they really touched you and they got in your bloodstream and they just, like, stayed there, like... Oh, yeah, this song, ah. there's still... I mean, I'm not from Washington Heights, obviously, um, because I'm from Utah, but it's fine. Um there's so many songs that pop into my head that feel like they describe my life and I just relate to them and the way they feel like listening to sunrise I think of so many things when I passed my state boards in Utah um you know I kept hearing Usnavi getting his uh like how excited he was that Vanessa accepted his date um you know that place through my head uh you know all the time and I just it it becomes a part of you and it really just sets you in the community and in in like you said the the bloodstream of where the show came from it's like a drug you just need more and more and you could never get enough of it the show has several notable cast members including 
Lin-Manuel Miranda, uh, Andrea Burns, Robin de Jesus, Mandy Gonzalez, Christopher Jackson, Karen Olivo, Javier Muniz, Krista Rodriguez, Corbin Blue, and Jordan Sparks. In 2017, Luis Salgado, uh, original cast member and assistant choreographer, was sanctioned to do a U.S. Spanish translated performance that was different than all the Spanish versions that were being performed in Latin America. This featured everything in Spanish except for the lines sung and spoken by the character Benny. It featured subtitles in both Spanish and English. On May 27, 2009, PBS's Great Performances aired an episode about the show. It documented the journey taken by the cast and crew to bring the show to Broadway. In, 2000, in November of 2008, Universal Pictures announced it, was acquired, it had acquired the rights to adapt the musical into a movie to be released in 2011. Universal then opted not to develop the film, and the project was canceled. In May 2016, the Weinstein Company announced that it would distribute the film. In October 2017, Juarez, who, who uh, was who wrote the screenplay as well, asked the Weinstein Company to permit her to take the production somewhere else in light of the Harvey uh, Weinstein sexual abuse allegations. The rights were reverted back to Miranda and Juarez in April of 2018, and after a bidding war, Warner Brothers acquired the film rights by May of 2018. Miranda said he would not return in the role he originated, but would return as the Piragua guy. The release date was set for June 26th of 2020. Filming began June 3rd of 2019, but was delayed due to the COVID-19 pandemic and would go on to be released in June, uh, sorry, June 10th of 2021. So let's now talk about the impact this show has had on the theater and its history. Theatrical Impact is the first hip-hop musical <laughs> on Broadway, and I would say it's the first successful hip-hop musical on Broadway. It also brought back, um, or at least helped bring in more blue-collar people into the audiences as well. Yes, because it I think we were seeing a story about uh, the blue-collar person, more specifically the, quote, average New Yorker, you know, and not the average upper-middle-class New Yorker, but the average lower-class New Yorker, you know. I'm not thinking Les Mis, the poor in the gutter, but, you know, the, the person working at your deli or driving your cab, that kind of an average person. That's that's what I think it, it brought to the stage. Well, it brought that to the stage, which also helped bring in those uh, people uh, in the audience. Because, yeah. you know, uh, oftentimes the theater can be seen, at, especially the Broadway theater, can be seen as this, like, super elite. Um, you know, people can forget that theater is for everybody. And so having a show like this reminded them that the theater is for everyone and, you know, 
come check out this story because this is the story is what is what matters, not what your clothes are. Yeah. It was the Broadway debut of Lin Manuel Miranda. We would be amiss if we didn't mention that. Right. And I think even bigger, if there could be, it brought together Miranda, Blinkenbuehler, like uh, Moray, and Kale, and this foursome would go on to create not only this huge hit, but of course Hamilton. You know, two of the biggest shows in Broadway history. Um, two of the most unique shows in Broadway history. This team is is almost unstoppable. Well, and I definitely feel like having the group of them together, you're starting to see a more proactive shift on Broadway about inclusivity. That's uh, not the way you say that, Hope. But you know what I mean? Like, this is where we start getting... Because um, the Tony Awards... Um, specifically I think the thought you're going for is going to come up in the next section of societal impact I know what you're going for I know yeah. exactly where you're going for but I, I want to say like these four four people I mean they're this generation's Hal Prince Stephen Sondheim duo or Rogers and Hammerstein before that you know this is the I feel like this this team is the one that's carrying this portion of theater to the to whoever may be next. Right, it's the they're the next <laughs> torchbearers on the right. Olympic. Um, you know, they brought relay. the American musical, or this show brought the American musical into the twenty first century. I think Rent really upped the game, bringing it into the MTV generation, and with with in the Heights, that was what really brought us into this to the twenty first century. So I can tell you're anxious to get to the next one because a lot of your thoughts are just jumping into that because it did. It had a huge societal impact. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the first one, which you were kind of getting at, is it gave representation to groups who had not had as much of that on the stage before. I also think that um, because of the success of this show um, and the non-stereotypical representation it gave to the Latinx community mm-hmm. um, really helped you know ensure producers that they can take a chance on people of color's work that mm-hmm. it will be successful that it is important stories to tell um, and people want to hear these stories and I think a lot of that is contributed you know to the success of the show right. and to the powerhouse of charisma that is Lin-Manuel Miranda and yeah. how passionate he is about his work. And it created and these about opportunities for yeah. people of color. And it, and it created, because um, if you think about it, you know, before our, really our our representation of, you know, Latinx people is West Side Story and even that's a caricature or a stereotype of what it means to be, you know, uh, Latinx. Well, right, I mean, but... Before this, I, I there's a handful of shows that have, quote unquote, diversity, you know, not obviously not enough, and even today there's not enough diversity. But this show definitely helped, like you said, ensure investors that they didn't just have to do My Fair Lady or Joseph and the Amazing Te- Technicolor Dreamcoat. They could go and see a show uptown or in the village or something by a new you know, Japanese artists or a Colombian artist or something, see these different stories being told and maybe bring them to Broadway and offer an opportunity to a different artist. Mm-hmm. And really, and, and, and audiences would respond to it in kind, you know? They would be open to these ideas. 
Because in theater, it's all about telling stories. Mm-hmm. And there are, there's a wealth of stories that want to be told there. And with bringing these artists of color to the stage, it also brought another generation to the theater. My well, favorite not, thing. Not just a new generation, but a larger demographic. Yeah. It was bringing people of all different race, religion, backgrounds, you yeah. know, classes to the theater, which can only help the theater get bigger and better. Yeah, it, um, you know, you've got these kids coming because it's a hip-hop musical, but then you've got a lot of these kids from way uptown who would, who would never come to a Broadway show. It just didn't interest them, but they wanted to see what this hip-hop show was. And all of a sudden, they've got the theater bug, mm-hmm. you know? And, I mean, it's not just here in New York, it's all across the country. Whenever I hear someone say, I'm just not a big theater fan. You know, musicals aren't for me. I'm just like, no, you say that, but that just means you haven't found the right musical. What kind of music do you like? I guarantee there's a musical out there for you. Literally, yes. there's been a musical written in yes. every genre. We got one for well, you. Because to, to, you know, to love, you know, storytelling is something that's a primal need in us as humans. Yeah. And so there's a musical out there for someone. Absolutely. I also think that the show redefined the American dream and what success and family meant. Mm-hmm. You know, I think when if you were to ask people what is the American dream, it's owning a home, having the family, the white picket fence, and yada, yada, yada. Yeah, that's... Not a thing anymore. Yeah, good luck finding a home. You know, like, well, like owning a home. Why can't the American dream be about establishing community? Well, and that's really what I think it comes down to is home is where the heart is and your heart is in your community. Yeah. And so it's important to not only live in a community, but to contribute to a community. Yes. To be able to to work together, to support each other, to build these I love that these stories are passed around and passed down and I I wish that happened more often I wish people I wish the older people would tell the younger people stories and it would just keep passing down because there's wonderful moments there's wonderful things that have happened and we're just we're missing out on them and so community is just so important that is the American dream find your place in the world find your tribe find your community find your family Family is not just blood, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the other thing that is really pointed out because if you think about Benny and Kevin, you'll never be a part of this family because you're not Latin. Family is not just blood. Right, and Benny's like, bro, I've literally been a part of your family. I help take care of your family. I, I take, help care, take care, care of your business. business. I've been here for decades. You've known me since I was little. Like, yeah, like how yeah. can I not be family because yeah. of what's in my blood? No, right, no, no. or Abuela Claudia who literally... You know, Usnavi, Sunny, Nina, they're not, like, blood-related yeah. to them, but she raised she's them. their grandma. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, I mean, well, I, I wrote this down, but you've already covered that. They played the, and connected with a different Broadway audience. And, I, and, you know, I do love that. I love that it brought a different Broadway audience to the theater because I've always felt like people think the theater's just for the upper crust. And, oh, yes, we put on all... Shirts and ties, and we go to the theater, and I'm like, no, no. Theater the Broadway, for everyone. yeah, it's accessible to everyone. Now, one day we'll do another podcast about the commercialism of Broadway and how, yes, it is not necessarily accessible to everyone financially, and yes, that should change. But you know, at the same time, working in the theater, Mama's got to pay the bills. 
you know. But the stories and how they're being told on Broadway, they're accessible to everyone. And I felt like that was so important for this to be a vehicle to get people down here to see to see the show and then also to be like, by the way, there's these other great stories being told around here you should check out. Well, and the fact that uh, there is, you know, normally I don't like to talk too much about, like, movies um, and all that jazz, but the fact that this story became a movie is so important because, I mean, In the Heights was very successful. I don't know if I'd call it a blockbuster, but it was definitely very the high. Film? No, no, no. The, the, the musical? The musical. I don't know if I'd call it a blockbuster, but it was definitely very successful. Um, and the fact that it the, it took a journey and they stood by their integrity as artists to make it into the film, and then so many people loved the film, mm-hmm. and it made that story so much more successful to a wider range of audience people, you know, that maybe it'll help grow the theater as well. Which we definitely need. <laughs> so is the show still relevant? I don't know. I don't know. I don't think we've convinced you it's relevant I don't know. yet. So maybe, kind of. Yeah. This show is one hundred percent, one hundred percent, still relevant, and the main reason is because of its depiction and solidi- solidifying the importance of belonging to community. As our country and our society continues to inch towards a two-class system, getting all political here. It's more important than ever to remind ourselves of the things that connect us rather than separate us. Remind us that money is not the only thing that brings us happiness. And reminds us that human connection and family is the most important thing in the world. Also, audiences love the show and I think it will con- they'll continue to flock to see it. If not for its substance, sound, and message, then for the star power behind it. You throw up from the creators of Hamilton on the ad and everyone's just going to see Hamilton like, oh my God, yeah. <laughs> you know, it. the show is important. It has a very important message. And I think right now we all need, we need some entertainment, but also we need a reminder about like, hey, it's going to be good. Mm-hmm. You got this. Look out for one another. Yeah. <laughs> As promised, we wanted to share some of our own personal stories about experiencing the show. We had the honor of seeing the show twice in 2009 and 2010. Alright, I gotta own something here. Full disclosure, confession time. Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. When this show performed at the Tony Awards, I remember seeing it and I said... Quote, I will never see this show because I will never see a hip-hop musical. No. It's sacrilege. Yeah. Yeah, I dismissed it. And um, I'm completely eating my words. If you need me, I'll be going to the corner there and I'll be sitting in my shame chair. <laughs> I was wrong. I'll own it. Um, I really wasn't like paying attention to their performance. And I've gone back since and watched their performance. And... If I had just watched, I would have already seen how amazing it was. I mean, this was a young, 18-year-old naive, what the hell did I know me, but well, yeah. Well, what I want to know is what made you decide to buy tickets? 
You. Yes, yeah, you just wanted me to say that. We, I really wanted to see this, this show. This because... was the first time you went to New York and you were you were nagging me and bothering me. And you're like, I really want to see the show. I really want to see the show. You were Lucy, Lucille bothering me. I was not nagging you. Andrew, I when saw are we going to see the show? I saw their performance on the Tonys and it inspired me to want to see more. And so when you told me you didn't want to see it, I was like, well, I want to see it. So I bought tickets and after seeing the show, I was like, Two pieces of bread, please. Put my head between it. What am I? I'm an idiot sandwich. It was amazing. I remember seeing it and being completely moved. And I was like, okay, I can't prejudge a show ever again. I can't say I will never see yada, 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 yada. That was That is the last time I said I'm not going to see this because this doesn't belong on the Broadway stage. I just stopped saying that because at this point I'm like, you know what? Whatever. You want to put Spider-Man on the stage? Let's do it, you know? King Kong? Absolutely. Why not? Like, we'll try anything at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's going to be great. Um, I remember meeting Christopher Jackson. Yes, I remember how nice he was and yep. how just full of life he was. Back when you can meet people at the stage door. Right. I can remember when. And Karen Olivo. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Corbin Blue. For yes. all you youngsters out there. Um... I remember us running the show as dressers at Pioneer Theater in Salt Lake City. I did not run the show. Uh, oh, I thought you did. Well, I ran it. It was a good time. Good time had by all. Uh, but here's one that, that, that's pretty cool. little Salt Lake tie that you can say you did. We saw the show at Pioneer Theater when they did the full production, their first full production. And the actor playing Sonny in this production... You know, just a little-known actor named Anthony Ramos, who, those of you who've seen the film, might know him as Usnavi now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was pretty cool when I when I saw the previews for the film come out and his face pops up. I'm like, oh, oh, hey, I know you. <laughs> I know who you are. So, um, yeah, it it's a really cool show. Now, I'm, I'm going to get out of my shame chair so we can finish our show. Listen, I absolutely loved every square inch of the show. Um, I remember sitting in my seat, like, on edge, just so excited. And, like, the feeling in my chest at the end of Act One, just, like, I can still feel those butterflies and the excited tension that was there. Um, uh, this show... This show was one of my all-time favorites. Like, it's definitely in my top ten. Now that things are beginning to return to normal, we're hoping to see the show again. You'll be able to catch In the Heights, hopefully at a theater near you. And speaking of normality, we just want to give a quick update of the show's returning to the Great White Way. Hello. The elders have returned eight times a week at the Eugene O'Neill Theater as the Book of Mormon reopens. Tom Kitt and James Lapine's new work, Flying Over Sunset, is now playing at the Vivian Beaumont Theater at Lincoln Center Theater. We hope you get a chance to see one of the many shows, many shows, now open here on Broadway, or even a show closer to home wherever you listen. To hear about the shows that have returned to Broadway, be sure to tune in every Tuesday and Saturday to our mini-episodes, The Broadway Bulletin. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez. And I'm Hope Bird. Reminding you to turn off 
your cell phones. Unwrap your candies and keep your mask on. And keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. Please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Fox by Music for Wildlife. Other music on this episode provided by Guifrog, Kevin McLeod, Juanitos, and Billy Murray. <laughs>